Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, we're coming very quickly uh, to the close of our study through the book of Luke. Um, We actually started back in September, looked at the first half, uh, just kind of following the life and teachings of Jesus. And we've been, since the first of the year, been going through the second half. And we're coming very, very close to the end. A couple more weeks left. And this this morning, uh, we're going to look at a passage around the Last Supper. And, and kind of take a look at that. And um, it's something that if, if, um, if you don't have um, any knowledge about this, I'm really glad you're here this morning. Uh, and we're going to do something a little bit different because we're not just going to talk about it. Um, we're actually going to participate in it uh, together. And with a little bit of explanation, because a lot of times you do things, you know, kind of out of tradition and you don't really know what's behind it and what that means. And there's a lot behind this act that we do together. Um, and, and all Christian churches celebrate this in different ways, in different times maybe, but, um, but we all do. And it goes by sometimes different names depending on the tradition, sometimes called the Eucharist or communion um, or the Lord's table. And in different traditions, there's different understandings about what it means um, and how to interpret it. Um, if you were raised in the Roman Catholic tradition, you probably know this. There's something that is called the, the doctrine of trans, 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 transubstantiation. And, and it really is a belief that, that in the breaking of the bread and, and drinking from the cup, that, that actually the bread by miraculous uh, work of God becomes the actual body of Christ. And, and that the wine actually becomes, uh, through a miraculous act of God, the blood of Christ. Now, I didn't grow up Roman Catholic. I grew up in a pretty conservative uh, Pentecostal church. And so in our church, uh, we believe the bread stays bread, but the wine is miraculously transformed into grape juice. That's a, a little inside joke. Very little and very inside, evidently. But So if you know nothing about this, I'm really glad you're here this morning because I want to walk you through this a little bit and understand what it was that Jesus was doing. And, and, and if you're here and you know nothing about this, all you know about this is the Leonardo da Vinci, da Vinci um, painting, and you're wondering why all those guys were sitting on the same side of the table, okay? We're going to explain it a little bit this morning. And it's found actually in Luke's gospel, chapter 22. So if you have a Bible or if you don't, feel free to use one of the ones on the table next to you or on the seat next to you. And um, we're going to begin reading Luke 22. 22, beginning in verse 7. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared for the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again, eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
Remember, Jesus said. This is an act of remembrance. This is something that Christ followers have done for 2,000 years. And it began on this very first time with his disciples. He says, I want you to remember. So what is it that he wants us to remember? What is the significance of, of sharing together in what we call communion or the Eucharist? What is it, what's, what's behind it? And what is it that he wants us to remember? And I think there's some, some key elements to it. I think the first thing is he wants us to remember the value of community. Luke makes it really clear that this, this event happened at a very specific time. It says that came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. That's Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Now the Passover, if you don't know what's behind this, you're not going to fully grasp what Jesus is doing here. So let me kind of back up and give you a little bit of history. The Passover goes all the way back to ancient Israel's history. There was a time when the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. And, And they were under the bondage of the Egyptian king and the Egyptian people. And at one point... God called Moses and said, I want you to go before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and I want you to proclaim to him, let my people go. And Moses, somewhat hesitantly, eventually went and did that. And he went before Pharaoh and and told the Pharaoh, you're to let these people go. And uh, Pharaoh said, no, we got a lot of slave labor here that's really free for us, and we're going to kind of hold on to that. And so God sent a series of plagues. And at each plague, it was meant to to loosen the grip of the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt on the people of Israel. And at each plague, when the plague came, they would go back before Pharaoh and and say, unless you let the people go, this is going to continue. And so he'd say, okay, okay, enough, enough. We'll let them go. And of course, the minute the plague ended, he said, up, changed my mind. And this happened over and over and over again. Till finally... The final plague came. God came to Moses and he said, I'm going to loosen the grip of slavery once for all on this people. And I'm going to do it in such a way that there will be a price. And every firstborn son in all of Egypt will be killed this night. But my people will be spared from it by this one thing. You are to take a young lamb flawless, spotless, without blemish, and you are to kill it. And you are to take the blood from that lamb, and you're to smear it on the doorposts of your house, and then remain in your home, and eat the lamb. And this night, when the angel of death comes over, it will see the blood on your doorpost, and it will pass over you. That all you had to do was be under the blood. And that is the celebration that then Moses, God instituted through Moses for all the nation. He says, now celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought you and your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for all generations to come. This was something that was steeped in Israel's history. And it celebrated the freedom that they got from the bondage of slavery. And they were to do it every year. It was one of the great feasts of the year. It was, it was something that was celebrated nationwide. It was celebrated in every community in the nation. Kind of think like 4th of July, only more so because it wasn't just the freedom that we won for ourselves. It was the freedom that God brought to us. And so each year they were to celebrate the Passover. And it's this Passover that Jesus gathers around his now new community. See, that's the thing. This was celebrated as a nation. It was celebrated in communities. It was celebrated among families. 
But Jesus has now brought together a new family, a new community. He says, now we're going to celebrate this, and you're going to understand this in a whole different way than you ever have. Because it's not just about something that happened in the past. It's about something that's about to happen in the very near future. And that's why he says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, if they hadn't shared that meal, they wouldn't understand the significance of what Jesus is about to do. He had talked to them about the suffering, but they had no idea what was to come. And it was only until afterwards, around this meal, that they remembered Jesus' words. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to remember this. That I'm establishing a new community, and I'm starting with you. We're going to do this together. Now, here's why we remember community. Because if we forget the value of community, we start living hidden lives. We start living more selfish, more self-centered lives. And one of the reasons why Jesus instituted this for his new community is to remind us that we need each other. That we are not solely on our own out there, but we have a life together. And that we share this life of Christ with other believers. And so he says, remember community. Remember this gathering. And for the next 2,000 years, up till today, when God's people gather together and share around communion, it's a reminder, we need each other. We need God. We need each other. Remember that. Remember that. Secondly, it's to remember The power of grace. Remember the power of grace. This was the day of of the unleavened bread. The feast of the unleavened bread. This is highly, highly symbolic. This was so, so important. Because there were two things attached to the idea of unleavened bread. The first was that you don't have time. God's deliverance is so immediate. You have to be ready to take it right now. It is ready to go. You don't have time to bake bread and let the yeast rise. You don't have time for that because God's deliverance is going to come and it's going to come so quickly that you've got to be ready to go. So you are preparing in haste. It is a reminder of the quick speed of God's deliverance of nation of Israel. So the bread was unleavened. But there's something else attached to that because leavening was kind of like um, they didn't have... You know, little packets of, uh, of yeast that you went and bought. It was a little bit of each batch of dough, each batch of dough, bread dough, a little bit was taken aside like a starter and kept aside for the next loaf for the next day. And it was symbolic in the same way that, um, that this little starter is saved for the next loaf and generations of loaves of bread to come. So it is that the sin of Israel goes from generation to generation to generation. The sin of people from generation to generation. So when it came to the celebration of Passover, not only was it supposed to be unleavened bread, but every bit of leaven, every bit of starter was to be removed from the home. It's a symbol of purity. And in the same way that the lamb that was sacrificed had to be pure and spotless and flawless, symbolizing the flawless, spotless God. So the bread was to be without yeast. Yeast or leaven was often a symbol of sin. And so it is to be unleavened bread. And so when Jesus takes bread, says he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Now that's, Also, 
important. If I this morning asked everyone in this room who has earned a PhD to stand, I'm not asking you to do that, but if you did, there might be a few of you standing and you would have a great camaraderie because you would be the smart people in the room. (laughs) And most of the rest of us would feel left out. Or if I asked everybody who has made a lot of money this last year and has really been successful in business, some of you could stand and a lot of us would be left out. But there is something about brokenness that every one of us knows. Because if I ask this morning everyone who has experienced brokenness to stand, we would all stand. Brokenness of our bodies. Cancer. Broken bones. Illness. Broken relationships and friendships. Broken families. Broken spirits. Broken hearts. Do you remember way, way back the beginning of this study, when we looked at Jesus' first message, he went into the synagogue and he took out and read from the scroll of Isaiah. This is what the scroll of Isaiah that he read from says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. He says, because this world is broken. You and I are broken. There is a brokenness in every one of us. A number of years ago, the London, London Times commissioned a series of essays, and they asked different writers to write on the topic, what is wrong with the world? And a number of different uh, well-known writers of the time wrote the essays on what they believed was wrong with the world. And one man named G.K. Chesterton, he wrote, and it was the shortest essay of all of them. It says, dear sirs, what is wrong with the world? I am. G.K. Chesterton. Because <laughs> there's a brokenness in every one of us. We would like to think it's out there. It's out in the world. It's in somebody else. But there's a brokenness in all of us. Now, in some churches, there's a liturgy. And people have, different churches have different liturgies where something is said from the stage or from up front and then everybody repeats back a reply to that. And I thought this morning, maybe that would be a good liturgy for us to kind of drive this whole idea home. And that I would ask the question, what is wrong with this world? And you would reply, I am. So we're going to try that this morning. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with this world? Yes, you are. (laughs) And so am I. See, brokenness is not just what happens to other people. Brokenness is what we do to each other. Brokenness is what has been done to us. And we have done to other people. Brokenness It's what we've done to ourselves. Because you see, that's what sin does. Sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks families. Sin breaks communication. Sin breaks a relationship with God. And that's why this flawless, sinless lamb was sacrificed. That's why this unleavened bread was broken because Jesus in essence was saying I know your brokenness and I am sharing my brokenness with you he came to be broken 
And he left this with these people so that they would understand the significance. Jesus is tying all of Israel's history together because the ultimate sacrifice is about to be offered. God at his very best, God at his most loving, is in his brokenness. So this morning, we're going to share together and admit each of our own brokenness before him. And we're going to give thanks that he took that brokenness on himself. And we're going to eat together. So if our ushers would come, distribute the tray of bread. I'm going to ask you to take and hold on to your morsel of bread. And then we're going to give thanks. And we're going to eat together. And if you're here this morning, and you're not quite there yet, and maybe you're here just simply because you're on a path of seeking, and you want to know this relationship with God, but you're not quite there yet. You haven't made that step of faith or taken that decision. I just want to tell you, Go ahead and pass the tray by. And don't feel embarrassed or, or looked down upon because this has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with what Christ has done for us. And we don't want you to do something that you're uncomfortable with or that you don't understand or don't know anything about. So just go ahead and let the tray pass on by. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've made him your Lord, your Savior, then you're invited to share in this with us. So please take that morsel of bread. Hold on to it. We're going to give thanks and eat together.
power of grace is not that we've earned it or that we deserve it, but that it's given. See, that's Jesus' words. It's my body given for you. He has done what needs to be done. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the flawless lamb. He was the unleavened bread. In him, there was no sin. And so he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And all he says is, take it. Take it. See, there's something about a meal. You can have the most sumptuous meal spread out before you and still starve if you don't take a bite of it. You can have the most nutritional meal there for you, but you will not benefit from it one moment unless you eat it. So Jesus said, eat this bread. This is my body broken for you. There's something else about eating that what you eat becomes a part of you. It fuels your body. And in the same way we eat this bread, it is symbolic of that Christ is now in us. He is a part of us. He is the indwelling Christ. And He fuels our spirit. And if we forget that, if we forget grace, we're in great danger of becoming judgmental feeling superior to other people. And we forget, we've done nothing to deserve this. We are simply trophies of His grace. So Lord, thank You that You took on our brokenness. Thank You that You bore it in Your own body so that we could be made whole. We take this bread And we eat it together with grateful hearts, remembering you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat together. one more aspect of this remembering it says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for you interesting word he uses there covenant covenant is the way that God has dealt with humanity throughout human history covenant is different than a contract and a contract we can come to an agreement and we can write up that agreement on paper but the bottom line for a contract is if you do not live up to your end of the contract I have recourse really contract though we come to an agreement contract is all about protecting myself covenant is something quite different The way that God deals with humanity is with covenant. And covenant is so different. Covenant is unbreakable. Covenant is unbending. Covenant is a solemn vow which cannot be changed. Which says, though you may not live up to your end of the agreement, God says, I will still live up to mine. That's a promise. That's a covenant 
cannot be broken. If you're a member of a homeowner's association, you know that term. You signed on to a list of CCNRs, covenants, conditions, and restrictions, and you know they are unbreakable. (laughs) They use that word for a reason. This is God's solemn vow, His unconditional promise. It's the promise of covenant. He made covenants with the nation of Israel, with Abraham, with Noah, with David, all through human history. And each covenant built on the next one because at every, every one of them, we did not live up to our end of the agreement. So God continued to establish covenants, keep reminding us that he has made a promise to us. And even though we will not live up to our end, he will live up to his. And then this new covenant was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And he explains it at great length, but he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness And remember their sins no more. Freedom comes at a price. It costs somebody something. We enjoy the benefits of freedom, but there were people in our nation's history who paid a price for that and continue today. There is a cost to forgiveness because to forgive is to absorb the pain that is due you and not take revenge, but to absorb it on yourself. And when God made this new covenant through Jesus Christ, he is saying, I have made this solemn vow that I will take on me your guilt, your shame, your sin, your wickedness. That I am the problem of the world stuff. He took it on himself. He said, now this is, this is the new covenant. The other thing about covenants is they were often done with some kind of a ceremony. Very often, some, some kind of sacrifice. And in the sacrifices, the sacrifices, they're bleeding. In essence of the covenant was to say, may this be to me if I do not live up to my end of the agreement. May I be as dead as this animal here. I actually talked about cutting a covenant. And what Jesus is doing in this last meal is he's saying up front, that is already me. (laughs) Lay down my life for you. This is the blood of my new covenant. And the beauty of that is that it is to each and every one of us on an intimately personal level. So the ushers are going to come and dispense um, the trays of cups. And as I do, I'm going to invite you to take your cup, pass the tray on by, and just in your moment, your time alone with God, just in that intimate moment between you and Him, give thanks and drink from that cup. And remember the promise of the covenant. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That no matter how many times we don't live up to the covenant, you will not let us go. You will not give up on us. You will not stop loving us. You will not stop forgiving us. And we know that because we remember these words. This is my blood, new covenant in my blood, poured out for you. So we drink from this cup with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
scriptures. we forget covenant we forget the true cost of forgiveness we forget the true price that our sin exacts and we forget we forget the love of Christ extended to us so Jesus said remember the value of community remember power of grace to forgive and remember the promise of the covenant he will never stop loving you do you bow your heads thank you for listening to this week's message we trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California 